We're going to be looking at 1 Kings 17, and we're going to be kind of finishing out that, that portion of the chapter here in just a few minutes. But I want us to talk this morning on, on something, basically looking at rock bottom. Our responses when we feel like in our lives we've hit rock bottom. Anybody ever been at that place where you just don't know if you can handle one more thing hitting you in your life? Like, I don't know if it's 100% rock bottom or not, but it sure feels like it. Like, at this point in my life, with everything that's going on, I don't know if I can handle one more thing coming against me, coming against my family, coming against my church, coming against the people. If they're having to endure anything more, I don't know if I can handle that. Chances are, there's several of us here this morning that find ourselves in that very place. That we feel like we are at the absolute rock bottom. And if you're not there this morning, then chances are you felt like that before. And if for some reason, somehow, you've avoided both of those, you're going to get there. Because I know we're a, a, a Christian church. I know we believe in the good news of the gospel and we proclaim the good news. But also at the same time, we live in a reality that there's going to be times that this life just gut punches us. And then it gut punches us again. And when we find ourselves down and we feel like we're out, sometimes life will kick us while we're there. Am I right? And I think that we see that as we read this passage of Scripture, verses 17 through 24 of 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one, uh, should be one there in front of you, fairly close in the pew. It's going to be page 348, 349 in that Bible if you use one of our pew Bibles. But starting with verse 17, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. Now I want to pause there for just a minute. So it says sometime later to begin this passage. In some translations it says after these things. And I think it's important for us to take a moment and recognize what's been happening up until this moment. Elijah has been faithful as a prophet of God to be obedient in listening to God to give voice in front of King Ahab that there is a drought coming. God is sending a drought. So he's obedient to the word of the Lord and he proclaims that message to King Ahab. After he does that, the Lord tells him to flee. And he takes him to a place called Cherith, where there he is provided water, he is provided food by the ravens twice a day. God takes care of everything that he needs. Eventually, the water runs dry. Eventually, the ravens stop bringing food. And eventually, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Elijah, and he says, you are to go to the city, to the town of Zarephath. And there you will meet a widow, and she will help provide for you. So he goes, and we looked at that encounter last week. 
of he sees her at the well getting ready to draw water. He asks her for a drink and asks her for some food. And she basically says that, listen, I'm here. I'm going to go back home. I've got a little bit of meal. I've got a little bit of oil. I'm going to put those together. My son and I are going to eat and then we're going to die. And we talked about the hopelessness that this situation of the widow was in. And how she really was not just beyond having little hope. She had resigned herself to the fact of, I am going to this place to do this thing, and then as soon as that's done, my son, myself, we're going to die. So that's after all of these things. That's when that time had passed. That is what is setting up in this situation. We also looked last week that how much really did the situation in Elijah's life improve when he went from Cherith to Zarephath? He went from zero food, zero provision at, the, at that time, and he moved to a place where there was one meal, enough for three people to split. So there wasn't a drastic improvement in the situation. But yet God provided. God got him through. And we took away some lessons from that. Now I want to introduce you to this passage we just read out of verse 17. I don't know if I could say that the situation had gotten any better. I mean, God was providing... His promises were true. They were coming to pass. They were having food. They were having water. They were having the sustenance and the provision to keep them alive and to sustain them. But all of a sudden, after some time of Elijah staying with the widow and her son, we see verse 17 where it says that the woman who owned the house, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill and he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. Can you see where this is possibly rock bottom for the widow? I mean, she's already, she's already faced trial, right? I mean, she's endured and encountered unspeakable, unfathomable loss already, and now her young son has stopped breathing. He's ill. He is dead. And we pick up with verse 18. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. The first response that we see is how the widow blames Elijah. You see that in verse 18? What have you come to do? 
Is this the result of your God? Have you come so that you could highlight my sin and I could be punished for this? For the things that I've done wrong? Is this what's happening? You see, I thought I'd hit the delay button. I thought that we had, I'd miss this. Because I was ready to die. I was ready for my son to die. But then you gave me hope. And now, is this where we're at? It's that ever-present question of why, isn't it? Why? And you know what? We covered this not too long ago. I would love, love to be able to stand up here and tell you that I have an answer for every situation, for every time that question of why comes up. But I do not. Isaiah 55 gives us a little bit of insight when it says that His ways are are higher than our ways. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God sees things from a perspective. He sees a picture that we cannot even begin to fathom. But we've all been there. This why question. Whether it's been years in our past, or if we're dealing with it in our present right now, there's that ever-lingering question as to why. And you know what? I can't say that I blame the widow for this response. When we hit rock bottom, or when we feel like we've hit rock bottom, that why question is usually the first one that comes, isn't it? I mean, whenever we look at things around, I mean, that's, that's the question. We see another response in this text, though. It's Elijah's response to the widow in verse 19. Whenever we see Elijah move to the widow, now remember, here is a man who has gone, he has proclaimed and stood in front of kings and queens and proclaimed the drought. Prophets weren't necessarily considered to be the most gentle of all people in the Old Testament. Like, I mean, they were, they were about 15 degrees off of what we would consider normal, right? And they didn't, all, if you don't believe me, read the book of Ezekiel. But they're not always hand, known to handle things with, like, kid gloves. But Elijah, this man, who is called by God to call out sin, to beckon and hearken for people to repent for their sin, to confess what they've done. He looks at the widow. And he doesn't go, well, this is because of your sin. This is because you're a pagan. This is because you serve and worship Baal. This isn't because you've lived in all type of iniquity. This isn't because you have unrepentant sins in your life that God is calling you forth that you need to repent. Elijah looks at her. He simply says, Give me your son. And he takes her son. See, I think we can learn something from Elijah right here that's very important for us. He dealt with the widow with gentleness. Again, a prophet of God, who's not necessarily known for his gentleness, is moved with gentleness. He's moved with compassion. He's moved with sympathy. Elijah takes the young man 
And what he's doing here, in my opinion, is he's asking her, without verbally asking her, to trust him once again. And more importantly than to trust him, trust the Lord. Trust Yahweh. Because there's several times in this passage where she makes the statement of your Lord. And that Lord is in all caps, which in Hebrew indicates that she used the word Yahweh. So she's recognizing the God, and I believe that he is asking her without using the words to trust in God once more. In Psalm 91, 1 through 4, I think that we see this charge for us to, to trust in God at all times when it says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with His feathers and He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. I can't recommend camping out in Psalm 91 enough. The entirety of the Psalms, yes, but when you feel like you've hit that place of rock bottom, when you are going through struggles and trials and tribulations in your life and your trust in the Lord is being shaken, because it gets there, doesn't it? I mean, it would be great for all of us to sit in here and feel like we're qualified to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning because our trust in God is never shaken. If we say that, we would be proven to be a liar. If I tried to indicate you, to you that your pastor never deals with that, I would be lying. But when you're facing those times, Psalms 91 is a wonderful place to turn and just camp there. Just read and read and read and read again. So we see Elijah's response that he's moved with gentleness, with compassion, with sympathy. And then we also see God's response in verse 22. I love the setup to this, though. Because we could get into the weeds here about this resurrection, because, I mean, it's kind of a weird story right now. Like, Elijah lays out on the boy like three times and asks the Lord. And, and the one thing that I want us to understand here is that up until this point in Scripture, we don't have a record of a resurrection happening. Like, there's no blueprint for this for Elijah. Like, oh God, I call back unto you who raised such and such from the dead. Oh, I wasn't there. We don't have indication of that. Enoch may be the closest thing that we've gotten. That definitely wasn't a resurrection because Enoch was just walking one day and whoop, gone. That was the exact sound effect too, by the way. The whoop. So if you ever hear that, somebody may disappear. But Elijah, I, I love the way he handles this whole situation, okay? And we can pick apart Elijah's life on a couple different fronts where he kind of messed things up, and he did. But in this situation, he shows gentleness, compassion, kindness, and sympathy, sympathy to the widow. And then when he gets up to his quiet place with God, the place where he interacts with God, that secret place that he has with the Father, that he just, he lets it out. Like he tells God his heart, he's like, God, what is going on here? 
Why did you, what is going on? Don't let this, why is this happening? But instead of being consumed by the why of the injustice of the moment, Elijah surrenders to the voice of God to obedience in the moment. And God's response is that he breathes life back into the young man. And then we see the next response of the widow to the Lord. Elijah and the son goes downstairs and says, Here, here you can see that your son is now alive. And I love how verse 24 closes this out because her response to the Lord was that surely, let me, let me read this. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. A little focus in here on the words that are used, because up until, up until this point right here, the widow had always referenced God as Yahweh. But she always said, your Lord, your Yahweh. And she was talking to Elijah, like the God that you serve, your Lord. How does she frame this statement right here? She says, that the word of the Lord, no longer your Lord, no longer their Lord, or anybody else's Lord, she is making a proclamation here that God is Yahweh. He is the one and only Lord. Now, I think that there are three things from this passage that we can take away. Three things that really, when we feel like we're at rock bottom, when we feel like that things really can't go any further south than what they've already gone, I think that we can see three things from the entirety of the story. And the first is that we trust God with the whole story. We trust Him with our entire story. Again, going back to Isaiah 55, God knows things that we don't know. He sees things that we don't see. And when we're in the midst of the most difficult times in our lives, this is where our faith, where our trust is truly put to the test. Of when we're saying, God, right now, I don't understand. God, right now, I don't like it. God, right now, I'm angry. God, right now, I'm frustrated. God, right now, I'm hurting. I'm full of sorrow. I'm full of grief. I'm full of sadness. But God, I'm going to trust you with my entire story. And that leads me to the second thing. Don't be afraid to tell God what's on your heart. Don't be afraid to tell God what's going on in here. We see the psalmist in the book of Psalms do this over and over and over again. And we see Elijah do it in this story. We see the story of Hannah in the Old Testament doing this too. In the book of 1 Samuel, she's talking about wanting to have a son. And she's just bearing herself out to the Lord. Don't hold back what's in your heart from God. Go to Him. Let Him know what's happening. He knows, right? Get into that place like Elijah did where he met with God 
and get away from all the hustle and bustle. Get away from all the people. Get away from all the busyness and the craziness. And get alone with God. And say, God, here's what's going on. Here's how I'm feeling with this. And if you're feeling in a way that you know that you don't want to feel, you shouldn't feel, and that He doesn't want you to feel, then ask Him for His help. We don't deny it and act like we don't feel it. Most of the time, and, and, and my wife tells me this all the time, if I'm angry, my wife knows I'm angry without having to say a word. If I'm frustrated, she knows it. God knows what's going on. You don't have to hold back from Him. Trust God and make sure you're telling Him what's going on in your heart. And then the third thing, trust God with the process. So it's one thing for me to say, trust God with the entirety of the story. It's another thing for me to say, tell Him what's going on in your heart. But maybe, maybe the most difficult part of these three steps, at least for me, is trusting God in the midst of what's going on. Trusting God with the situation that you're currently facing. Trusting God in that process as you go along. Remember we talked last week that the greatest amount of trust that we need to have faith in God is trusting Him each and every day. For this day, I'm trusting God to get me through. James 4, 13 through 15, again, why are you saying that you want to go to this place and you're making plans to go to this place next month, next year, next 10 years? Say today what you're going to do. Say if the Lord wills, make plans for today. Why? Because James tells us in that passage that your life is like a vapor. Your life is like a mist. You see, it's, it's a little bit easier for me to look down the road and go, okay, I know where my eternity is set. I know in whom I'm trusting. I know that His blood covers me. I know that I serve a God and that I'll spend eternity with Him. But man, when events of today hit me today, and in that process of getting there, that's tough sometimes, isn't it? Well, maybe I can just remove the word sometimes from that. That's tough, isn't it? Like as we go through this process, this refining, this, this as He's bringing these impurities out of us, as we face this situation in life, that's when it really gets tough. I don't know, an old Southern Gospel group and a song uh, the group's the McCamies. I don't know if any of you ever heard or listened to the McCamies, but they, uh, I'm, they're not the only one who sung the song, but it was the one I was introduced to. They used to sing a song called God on the Mountain. The God on the Mountain is still God in the valley. The God of the good times is still God in the bad. The God of the nighttime is still God in the daytime. He is God. No matter how dark how bad or how hurting or how sorrowful you are in a situation God is still God and his word in Hebrews declares that I will never leave you nor will I forsake you the psalmist tells us that I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread 
God is still God in your situation today. Now, I want to I end my message with a little bit of an illustration. Um, so I'm going to ask uh, Carrick Ryan, would you come up and join me, please? Young, strapping lad here. So come on, come on up here on stage with me. When did you get taller than me? All right, all right go back down there. Okay, so anyhow, you know, Scripture tells us that we endure affliction, and God has compassion. He gets us through this affliction because He cares for us. And then it goes on to say that so that we can care for others as they go through afflictions as well. Now, I, I, I had a little bit of an idea in my head that, that really didn't work out this morning. Um, but, but we're going to use this. And, and I'm going to be careful with this example here. Because from this text, it's not necessarily the main theme or even the tone of it. But we've got a lot of people going through some stuff, church. And God is sovereign. God knows what's going on far ahead of what we do. And I don't believe that our looking at this story of Elijah during this month is any type of coincidence whatsoever. I believe that this is God-ordained to speak to our hearts during this time. And what we see in this story is we see Elijah with a widow who is at her rock-bottom moment. And God uses Elijah to help lift a burden off of her life. So you see, what if you would just put your arms out there. All right, thank you. So sometimes life comes along and will throw things on us. It's not real heavy. It's manageable. We can carry this. Maybe it's a little bit of relationship problems, okay? Then even before we're able to put that down, Sometimes life will pile something else on. Maybe we got problems at work. Maybe we got some issues with uh, you know a coworker, something like that. Now we come through here. Okay. Another thing is added on to us. Maybe we're having trouble uh, with one of our children. Something's happening with them at school. Something's going on with one of their extracurriculars. Then it just continues to pile things on. And pile things on. Pile things on. Pile things on. Can you breathe? Not really. Not really? Okay, I'll hurry. All right. So, Dom, if you would come up here for me, please. So, see, what I believe that God is calling us to do, just like Elijah came and took the child, the rock bottom, the sorrow, this thing, and helped her carry this time. Dom, take a jacket. Kylie, come here. Kennedy, come here. Katie, come on up here. And maybe we can't take everything off of our brothers and sisters, but you know what? You can grab something and help them carry it. Jody, come on up. Now, he may be still carrying some stuff. But what's happened is, is maybe this brother's in rock bottom 
His brothers and sisters over here, they're not experiencing rock bottom at this moment. Praise God, right? Like, okay, maybe we've gotten a little bit of a breather, but we've still got people in our midst who are struggling. We've still got people in our midst who are at rock bottom. And it's not for us to go around empty-handed celebrating the fact that we're not facing something when somebody else, when one of our brothers or sisters, or when another family is drowning in their sorrows, drowning in their grief, drowning in their pain. So we come alongside and we say, I may not be able to take the whole thing from you. I may not be able to carry all of it, but let me try to carry some of it. Let me come around and help you. Let me pray for you. Let me speak into your life. Let me encourage you. Let me do this. Let me help you somehow. Thank you guys so much. We just put those jackets right back there on the front. Whenever we get to this place that we're burdened and we can't see and we can't breathe and we, we can't handle anything else coming at us in our lives, church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a body, that is when that family, that is when that person, that is when this group absolutely unequivocally need us the most is when they are in the worst shape. We don't just fellowship when fellowship is good and is happy, right? Romans 12, 15, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. Church, as your pastor, and I don't even have, you know what's happening for the most part. You know what's going on in people's lives. You know the hurt. You know the sorrow. You know the grief. You know the pain. They need you now more than ever. Amen? And this is not a time, listen to me, this is not a time to sit back and think, well, somebody else will do it. This is not a time to sit back and go, I'm not going to call right now, somebody else will call. Or I'm not going to visit because somebody else will visit. I'm not going to, I'm not going to reach out because somebody else will reach out. Reach out. If they're on your mind, reach out. If the Lord prompts you to pray for him, don't say, well, somebody else is praying for him. You pray for him. Because God is asking you to be obedient. And your brothers and sisters, your family, need you. Our responses to rock bottom. Our responses to rock, because we're all going to be there. Trust God with your story. Don't hold back what's on your heart. Tell him what's on your heart, and then trust God in the process. Praise team, will you join me back up here on stage this morning, please?